You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, I was trying this week to imagine the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem from all the different perspectives of the people that were there. It was an interesting exercise. First, there was the crowd from Bethany. We remember that Bethany is on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So Jerusalem is on Mount Zion, and also under, when we say mountain, what they mean is like immediate to small size hill. <laughs> so Jerusalem is on Mount Zion here, and then there's the valley, uh, and then the Mount of Olives, and then Bethany and Bethphage on the other side of the Mount of Olives. It's a suburb. It's maybe a mile and a half over the mountain, down the valley, back up into Jerusalem. And and Bethany, remember, is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. It was, it was the love of Jesus for Lazarus, who was dead, that, that caused him to come out from on the other side of the Jordan to come up to the vicinity of Jerusalem to heal him, even though it was a danger. And the disciples were worried about going up because the people were seeking to take his life. And if they were angry at him before he raised Lazarus, imagine now after he raised Lazarus, they're just trying to, to, to get him. But, but the people in Bethany were there. They were there for the funeral of Lazarus, and he had a bunch of family and friends in Jerusalem as well. So they were there. They were there for the funeral. They were there with Mary and Martha when they were mourning, and they went with them to meet Jesus at the tomb so that they were there to see Lazarus come out of the tomb so that they knew about this Jesus, that there was something very special going on with him. And now they see Jesus gathering this crowd around him to ride triumphantly on a donkey into Jerusalem. And this crowd is surrounding Jesus. They make up the first part of the crowd who are rejoicing in the gifts that Jesus is going to bring. And they're cutting branches and they're putting their cloaks down so that the donkey can go down this steep path without falling over. And they start to sing. Psalm 118. And they're going along with great joy. And, and, and to this crowd, there's another group. So thinking about this, there was the faithful who lived in Jerusalem, who had heard of Jesus and knew some of the things that were going on and had some thought that maybe this man Jesus was who we think he is. Maybe this is the Messiah. And they hear that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. So they come out, they come out from Jerusalem and down the valley and back up the other side and they join the procession as well. And, and now imagine both of these people as they see all the people gathering around Jesus and the singing getting louder and the joy getting more and more. It's really quite wonderful to think about. And in the midst of it, the children. I was trying to imagine what this would have been like for the children who were there also singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waving their palms and they're they're looking up at Jesus with eyes full of faith and, and wonder. And there Jesus looks down from the donkey at the children and he smiles at them. I just don't wonder if these kids would have said to their kids and to their grandkids, you know, I was there that day. <laughs> I mean, I saw Jesus on the, on the donkey riding down the hill coming into Jerusalem. I, w- I was there, I was singing. And he looked at me and he smiled. The disciples were there. Oh, oh, before the disciples, I, I also, I tried to imagine what it was like on this day for the donkey. <laughs> 
And it was kind of tricky. I couldn't exactly figure out, figure out what the donkey would have been thinking on this day. Uh, he had never been ridden before, so that was something. It had to be a new experience for him. But remember this verse in Isaiah? It's at the very beginning of the prophet Isaiah. It, we normally think about it at Christmas. The ox knows its owner and the donkey knows its master's crib. But Israel does not know, and the Lord's people do not consider. Now, I think, in fact, there's something like that that's happening on this day. That this donkey is serving, serving its Lord, while the city is rejecting its Messiah. And then there's the disciples. Now, this must have been an incredibly difficult or maybe even confusing day for them. They, after all, went to get the donkey and bring it back to Jesus. And they have to be thinking this whole time of the prophecy in Zechariah 9. Behold, O daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, humble, mounted on a donkey. Now, the the disciples, remember the disciples, they're always trying to wonder what what this kingdom was supposed to look like that Jesus was bringing. He had been telling them over and over that he had to die, and they didn't understand it. In fact, we just had that a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said, I have to go to Jerusalem, and I have to be rejected, and I have to be beaten. And it says that they didn't understand what he's talking about, that they had no idea what he was talking about, that they couldn't even come close to understanding what he was talking about. They always wanted this earthly kingdom. And you you have to think that as they see the crowds gathering, that maybe this was it. Maybe this is the time. Jesus thought he was going to suffer, but maybe this is his this time of glory. And now the kingdom would come. But how? How would he rule? How could he possibly go into Jerusalem like this? There's no soldiers. There's no armies. How can he, how, how can he do it? How can he take over? Would they have to fight? And, and they had known that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, but they were afraid of it. Remember, they said, we don't, they're trying to kill you. If we go up there, they might arrest you, put you to death. And they were not only, and they were not only afraid for, for Jesus, but they were also afraid for themselves because they knew that how things went with Jesus was how things would go with them. If Jesus was arrested, if Jesus was put to death, then they no doubt would be arrested. And put to death as well. But look, but look at these crowds all around and all these people and the children and the palms and the branches and the singing that's getting louder and louder. I have no idea what they would have made of it all. But then there's the Pharisees. The Pharisees, remember, they were the enemies of Jesus for a number of different reasons. And they, in Jerusalem, hear the news of Jesus coming in, and so they rush out to meet this crowd. And they go into this crowd, and they go to the front, and as they hear the songs of the people and the children that are singing, these Pharisees are enraged. They've been trying to arrest Jesus, trying to stop Jesus, hoping to kill Jesus, and even more since Lazarus was raised, and now look at what's happening. Now, now there is a question for us just to ask, and that is what the Pharisees actually believed. Some of them, no doubt, thought that Jesus was a deceiver. But many of them, and I'm growing more convinced of this every time I read through the accounts of the Passion, many of them had seen the miracles of Jesus and they knew that he was the Messiah. They knew it. They saw Lazarus dead and they saw him raised. They saw the people healed at the pool of Bethesda. They had seen the various different miracles that he had performed. And they knew that this was not an ordinary man, that he was at least a prophet, or maybe more, maybe even the Son of God. And still, 
even though they knew that, they did not trust Jesus, they did not follow Jesus, they in fact were his enemies and they wanted him killed. Now, this is just for us to pause and remember that we normally think that there's those people who believe in Jesus and therefore follow him, those people who do not believe in Jesus and therefore do not follow him, and that's the only two options that there are. But the Pharisees remind us of this middle ground, this worst place to be, the people who do believe in Jesus but do not follow him. That's how the devil is. And those who follow the devil, there's no, and we need to, we need to remember this also when we're talking to those who are outside the church, that it's, there's a difference between not knowing and not trusting. Now, why did the Pharisees not trust? We know that they were afraid, that they were afraid that Jesus would stir up so much attention that the Romans would come in and bring their armies and destroy the city and take away the place, which, ironically, is what happens precisely because they put Jesus to death. Now, just think about this, that the enemies of Jesus are afraid that if if they follow Jesus, then Jerusalem will be destroyed. But what happens? They don't follow Jesus, and because of that, Jerusalem is destroyed. It's ironic. But there's a, there's a kind of a, a regular irony to this. Listen to this. This is Proverbs 10 verse 24. This is kind of, again, off to the side, but it's something for us to put in our back pockets and remember. Proverbs 10 24 says, the thing that the wicked dreads will come upon him. But the desire of the righteous will be granted to him. It's one of these strange things in life that the very thing that the wicked, the unbeliever, the very thing that they're trying to escape is the thing that they end up finding. The thing that they're hiding from is the thing that comes upon them. The thing that they're running from is the thing that catches up to them. So it is with the Pharisees. They're afraid. They're afraid that the Romans would come and destroy their city, so they go to destroy Jesus, and what's the result is that the Lord sends the Romans to destroy the city. The Pharisees are afraid that the people will listen to Jesus. They, the Pharisees, remember, they were the respected ones. They were the admired ones. They were the holy ones in the, in the town, in the culture. Everyone would look up to the Pharisees as those who were righteous. And, and yet Jesus had said in his very first sermon, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so they're afraid and they're angry, and they're angry at Jesus. They're angry because Jesus was preaching against their false doctrine of salvation by works. They're, they're, they're angry at Jesus because he preached the law to them. How could he dare have the audacity to do it? And they're ashamed, of, they're, they're, they're angry at Jesus because he preached the gospel to other people. I mean, every, think of it. Everything about Jesus was offensive to the Pharisees. That he would challenge their own holiness that he would eat with sinners, that he would welcome tax collectors, that he was gracious and that he was lowly. And so they see Jesus sitting here, surrounded by these crowds of people, singing Psalm 118, waving their palm branches, and they are enraged at it, and they run up to Jesus. Can you imagine? They run up to Jesus as he's riding on the donkey, and they stop him and they say, Teacher, tell your disciples to be quiet. Shut this thing down. Quit it. Right away. Now, Jesus looks down at him and he says, I tell you, if these guys were quiet, the rocks would cry out. Now, the text doesn't tell us how the Pharisees reacted to that, but you can imagine they didn't take it very kindly. 
that they would think of the audacity of Jesus all week as they planned his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. So the Pharisees saw the triumphal entry. But last, this is the last that we need to, I think, meditate on. What, how, how did Jesus see all of these events? What is in his mind? What's in his mind as he sends the disciples to get the donkey and bring it back? Or as he sees the children and the people surrounding him, as he, as he goes over the mountain and, and, and looks over Jerusalem. This is how it goes. You, you come over the top of the Mount of Olives and then Jerusalem is there spread out in front of you with the limestone wall stretching and all the, all the white buildings built out of this limestone with the olive trees surrounding it. They're silver kind of green in the gardens. And then right on the top, like a crown, is the, is the temple there. Again, with this polished white limestone and, and gilded with gold. And, and Jesus would come over the hill and he would see it in front of him. What was he thinking? In fact, we know. Because as Jesus comes down the slope, he stops. And he looks over Jerusalem And he begins to cry, to weep. And tears are dripping down his face into his beard as he looks at the city. And he says this, Would that even today you knew the things that make for peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you when your enemies will cast a bank around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and dash you to the ground and your children, and they will not leave one stone on another in you, because you did not know this, the time of your visitation. It's almost as if Jesus, sitting there on the donkey, looking down from the mountain at the city of Jerusalem, could see 37 years into the future. And instead of all the crowds of people coming up from every direction to join in the Passover celebration, instead Jesus sees the Roman armies gathered all around so that nothing can come in and out. Or instead of the smoke coming up from the temple of the burnt offerings, Jesus can see the smoke rising from all the buildings that are set on fire by the Roman armies. Instead of seeing the, 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 the city beautifully decked out like he sees it on this day, he sees them tearing it down. Not one stone left upon another. And Jesus weeps over this. He weeps over this destruction. He weeps over this death. He weeps over this with great sorrow because they missed it. Because Jerusalem missed it. Because Jerusalem couldn't see it. Because the things that make for peace were right there and they They were blind. Jesus Jesus weeps. And we would think that maybe Jesus would weep because He could see the suffering that was coming for Him. Maybe Jesus would weep because He knew that that very week He would be stripped and beaten and mocked and spit upon and have His beard torn out and He'd be hung from the tree, nailed to the cross, put in the grave, you would think that maybe he would weep over that, but that is not why Jesus weeps. He's sad not because of the things that he had to suffer. He's sad that he might have to suffer those things for naught. That the people that he could see, 
the people that he was coming to rescue, the people that he desired to deliver would not. Oh, how I longed, he says, oh, how I longed to gather you like a, a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. So, Jesus looks on this event, on this triumphal entry, surrounded by all the people and the palms and everything. Jesus looks on it with great sadness. With a sad thought that his rescuing and dying would not be received. That the Pharisees and the soldiers and Pilate and all the people that he wants to die for wouldn't know that peace. And he weeps. Now what of us? How do we make how do we make something of this triumphal entry? How are we to think of it? We know that this coming of Jesus into Jerusalem to suffer and die is in fact the greatest thing to happen in the history of the cosmos. We, we know that his riding into Jerusalem was not to establish an earthly kingdom but to establish an everlasting kingdom. We know that He rode on in majesty to suffer and die. We know that He came to Jerusalem to be rejected and to be crucified. And we know that He did all of this for us. Which means, dear saints, that while most of Jerusalem missed it, we have not. You have not. You know the things that make for peace. You know this, the Lord's visitation, and you delight in it, and you trust in it. You know that Jesus is the Son of God, and more than that, you know that Jesus is your Savior. And so while Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept, He looks over you, and He smiles, and He rejoices, because you have received Him. And welcomed him and rejoiced in this, his visitation. I was reading something this week, and they were asking, I can't remember exactly how it went, but he says, uh, it was a pastor, and he was asking uh, his people to imagine that what would happen if Jesus would come and walk into our church today? What would happen if Jesus would? suddenly show up and start talking to us? What would he do? What would he say? What would we do? How would we react? And I thought, well, that's a good exercise. But as I thought about it, I thought a little bit more and I said, how sad that he and his church has to imagine that that's what happens. Because every week Jesus does show up here in our midst He comes into our presence 
And we, like the children and the people on the mountains, sing Psalm 118, Hosanna, glad Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then He does speak to us. And this is what He says. This is my body given for you. This is the blood of the New Testament shed for you for the remission of sins. And He rejoices over you. And you rejoice over Him. God be praised. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.